Good morning, and welcome to another episode of CIO Leadership Live. I'm Mary Fran Johnson, Executive Director of CIO Programs for IDG. Joining me today from his office in Dearborn, Michigan, is John Hill, the Chief Information Officer at Carhartt Incorporated, a premium workwear brand that makes rugged apparel for men, women, and children. This is a retailer founded in 1889 and still today run by the Carhartt family. The CEO is the great-grandson of the founder Hamilton Carhartt, and members of the fifth generation of the family, many of them still work at the company. In fact, one of them is a member of the analytics team in IT. John joined Carhartt as the CIO two years ago after serving as VP of Solutions Delivery at Granger, a $10 billion distributor of industrial products. A former U.S. Air Force officer, John's experience spans several uh, industries. He has worked in automotive, pharmaceuticals, biotech, software as a service, insurance, and government, and now most recently, rugged retail. He found his way into IT from the business sourcing and supply chain sides of companies such as IBM, General Motors, and Roche. John, welcome. It's great to have you here today. Before we get into some of your top priorities at Carhartt, which we'll be talking about, I wanted to talk a little bit about your IT and business experience across all these different industries. And one of the things we'll start with is why I've heard you call yourself an accidental CIO. So how did that happen? Well, yeah, as you mentioned, you know, I've been in a number of different industries and, and my career after I left the Air Force was, you know, started in the, the global sourcing uh, business at IBM just after uh, Gerstner joined. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was responsible for a lot of the big uh, relationships that IBM, IBM had with companies like Cisco or HP to support its, its kind of emerging global uh, services uh, business. Uh, and and from there, it just kind of, uh, I would say, meandered. Uh, even when I was at IBM, I built you know, our first uh, intranet uh, site in Notepad uh, for the for the procurement wow. division. Mm -hmm. And uh, in, just like I said, I found myself, you know, uh, taking on more and more IT uh, type of things. And and as I moved on in my career, I, I did a startup uh, out in California at the height of the dot com era. So. Mm -hmm. Um, got to, got to spend a lot of time with uh, industry folks, and and then I'd say after I got to Roche, and it was clear, you know, I have the opportunity to become a, a CIO in, in the future. Mm -hmm. And I think that that business experience, having done um, supply chain business development, you know, helped me to be able to operate with the other senior executives and be able to to talk maybe a different uh, a different language to them. And on top of that, I was used to being the receiver of IT services. Ah. Uh, so I, I think I had a unique perspective in terms of what I liked and what I didn't like when I was on the, mm -hmm. you know, the other side of the equation, so to speak. Well, well, that's great. Um, how when you're when you're about to dive into a new industry, how do you learn about it? You've been through five or six different ones. Do you have a special immersion therapy you put yourself through? Or, you know, you went your last one, you went from industrial products into retail, uh, which yeah. probably couldn't be more different. Yeah, you know, the uh, at, at the heart of it, I, I like to say that, you know, a lot of, uh, of the, the core business of, of an industry are, are kind of similar. You know, everybody's got to you know, make a product, sell a product of, of some kind. Uh, but if you if you look at the way I even approach my daily uh, life, you know, the first thing I do every morning is read the Wall Street Journal. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's helped me to have a kind of a broad understanding of industry. And as I looked at opportunities like a card, I, I did a lot of research in advance, mm -hmm. a lot of industry research, read analysts, read, um, in this case, I couldn't read necessarily the company annual reports, but I read all of the uh, competitors' annual reports. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time uh, learning about the, the industry before I get there. And then once I get in the company, I spend a lot of time, you know, really on the ground in the different business functions. So here, spending time in our factories, you know, with the sewing operators, in our distribution center, working to understand, you know, what's happening on the goods to person station, for example, uh, going out on sales calls with reps to understand what our, what our customers think of us, mm -hmm. uh, spending time with the marketing team or spending time with the product development team you know that, that's really the only way you can really learn you know the uh, the industry is spending time with the folks yeah and ask a lot of questions it's 
it's really helpful sometimes to be that new person because you have a, a completely uh, um, unjaded view as to how things work. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so far it's worked well for me. And, and I've been lucky that everywhere I've been, I've had a, you know, a good team that works with me that, that helps me learn that industry as fast as I can. Yeah. Well, and I was interested too, one of the articles I uh, read that, that you had been interviewed for, you were talking about your interview process with the executives at Carhartt. And you made the rounds of all the different executives, and you had specific questions that you asked them. What what were those like? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of them were, you know, the normal. I say the normal. I mm-hmm. think everybody would ask this, but you know, what's their key business challenges? Oh, sure. You know, what um, what are you they looking for from a, from a CIO? Mm-hmm. Um, but but similarly, I'd ask them, how do they work with one another uh, in in the company? Mm-hmm. You know, what are the challenges they see as a as an executive leadership team in working together? Uh, what do they see in terms of uh, competitor threats? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what I was usually what I'm usually doing is looking to see if there's consistency across that. Uh, executive leadership team. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a telling point if there's if there's not consistency in terms of uh, whether it's the internal viewpoints of how how things get done or um, how the company's positioned in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And you know, I say at, at Carhartt, I was lucky that you know we have a fantastic uh, senior uh, executive uh, leadership team and very aligned. Uh, we don't really have a lot of the. Uh, I'd say some of the challenges you see at maybe some of the bigger companies. Yeah. Well, which you had just come from, you know, Carhartt is probably six or seven times larger uh, than, of course, this is an editor doing math, so we should never do that. Um, But it's so much bigger than Carhartt. And so the scope and the size was a change for you. You must have heard things when they talked about the company culture that were just a real attraction to you. And what was that? Well, I mean, you mentioned a little bit about, you know, Carhartt's um, uh, legacy, you know, 1889, you know, family owned, you know, and you look at our mission, which is to build rugged products to serve and protect hardworking people. Uh, both my family and my wife's family have roots, you know, in blue collar uh, mm-hmm. uh, jobs. Mm-hmm. And so both the brand and the culture were just a fantastic uh, fit for me personally. Yeah. Uh, if you add in the challenge from a business perspective, to um, help Carhartt digitize and better serve those hardworking people, then it was a known bra- a no-brainer for me. I, I really wasn't concerned as I looked at you know what the next opportunity for me about the size of the company or the prestige of the company. You know, culture and you know fit was the number one criteria for myself as mm-hmm. I as I did the evaluation. Okay, well, and that's a, a very good. Um segue to my next question, which they picked you when you got there. And what were your marching orders? You've been there now, it's a full two years. And uh, usually the president and the board have something in mind when they're bringing in a new CIO. So what was that for you? Uh, I think there were there were probably three different things, and it depends on which which level you were at. If if you if you think from a president perspective, uh, her most important thing was leadership. You know, providing leadership uh, mm-hmm. to the organization, um, helping to develop people. You know, to get the the um, output from the talent that was in the organization, and and really, it's a very talented IT organization, you know, top to bottom. Mm-hmm. And so for her, that was the number one thing. I I think I had three interviews with. Her. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, every time it was, let's keep talking about leadership. How do you approach this? So yeah. that was her number one um, point. And knowing that if we can take care of that, it takes care of a lot of the other uh, challenges that any IT organization or any organization for that matter uh, has to work through. Mm-hmm. If you if you then talk about the rest of the senior executive uh, peers, uh, theirs would have been two items. One was time to market. And the other one would be innovation or, or trying new things. You know, they had never done any cloud uh, oh, okay. uh, activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and time to market, for example, the time between the last um, build on the website and the one that just happened as I was doing the interviews was four months. So there wasn't mm-hmm. a real uh, time to market uh, A sense of uh, urgency. Focus. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So so those were the, the two from their perspective. And and if you look at what we did on on time to market, for example, I'd say probably two key things that we did. One was implement agile, lean agile, mm-hmm. and the other was create capacity in the mm-hmm. organization. Uh, so 
Um, let's talk about the, maybe the harder one first, uh, creating capacity. I was just about uh, to ask not you like about they, that. <laughs> they did not like they said, here's a, a blank check, uh, you know, go spend money. Mm-hmm. So we need to figure out how we could, you know, create that capacity in the organization, to do more projects. What we saw is that we hired a lot of contractors in to do projects mm-hmm. and our internal staff worked on maintenance and support. The problem with that was you had a, a pretty significant learning curve every time somebody came in. Mm-hmm. You didn't have the internal people that were necessarily available to work with those consultants. And so you looked at that ability to, to do a lot of, uh, of projects as a challenge. So what we did is uh, we decided to outsource all of the application maintenance and testing. Mm, you essentially flipped and, the model then, didn't you? Right. Yeah. And then I could capitalize internal folks, which I was capitalizing the consultants. I could capitalize the internal folks and 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 basically stay uh, budget neutral. Mm-hmm. And in addition, we didn't have to lay off a single person as part of that outsourcing of the application mm-hmm. uh, maintenance and testing. And and if you look at that, the, the transition was absolutely flawless because nobody was worried about their job. Not a single knowledge management session was missed during that transition. Mm-hmm. And IBM, who's our, our partner and took over it, if you'd ask them, they said it was one of the best transitions they had. Mm-hmm. We actually put a, a project manager in, in on our side to manage it from our perspective. I think a lot of companies just use the suppliers, yeah. but we had one on our side to drive it. And so that became not only uh, a way to free up uh, my team, but it also meant that I had a go-to partner for for projects in. They mm-hmm. knew our landscape, they understood, so they could quickly come in and jump into projects and be ready to go. So we saw about a 30% bump in uh, capacity just by doing the flip of that model. Yeah. The other thing then we did was the Lean Agile. And uh, it was, uh, Carhartt was a classic waterfall mm-hmm. uh, organization. Uh, the challenge is they, f- they focused on, you know, kind of, we're going to take the whole program, we're going to write it all down and spend six months on writing up the requirements and we'll deliver it over three years. Mm-hmm. And, and what happened is that that meant that only one or two things could get done because of these type of efforts. Yeah. So we put in the Lean Agile, probably heavier Kanban than than um, than, than Scrum. Mm-hmm. And our big focus was on minimum viable products. You know, break things down into very small um, uh, chunks of realizable business value. Right. And so we could do a lot of projects at the same time because the teams were focused on delivering those in short um, cycles. Uh, and we weren't crowding out a lot of activity. Mm-hmm. As a result, you know, we we reduce we deploy new functionality not only to the website but even our ERP environment every two weeks. Yeah, and John, when you said uh, Kanban rather than Scrum, uh, yeah. what's the layman's description of the difference between the two of those? So, uh, if you think about Kanban, if you uh, for those that are familiar with manufacturing, mm-hmm. um, it's it, Kanban is a way of visualizing work in progress, and in manufacturing, use it to understand where are your choke points in your organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you think about any, uh, think about a water pipe. And if you had a pipe that was this big, and then you had a little pipe and then a big pipe, the flow to the last part of the pipe is only the size of that middle pipe. Mm-hmm. And so, what we, what I've done in a few places is you realize that knowledge workers have the same challenge. If you throw too much work towards them, it actually reduces uh, their their uh, uh, effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And frankly, you, you misunderstand where those choke points are in the organization. So we use, you know, we use the story process from Agile and we merge that then with Kanban to, to limit our work in progress okay. and understand where that is across the organization, not just in the development teams, but all the way through to whether it's security or infrastructure or the, um, uh, the architecture teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have you know, Scrum, which is that traditional um, uh, agile teams structure, but, but like I would say we're a heavier Kanban uh, okay. structure. 
Well, I, I always think it's um, it's fascinating the whole process of moving not just an IT organization but an entire company to that agile approaches to that different way of thinking. I think a lot of times it becomes a little bit of a shock on the business side when they realized how much they need to be involved, how many meetings they have to be in, how there has to be a product manager, how fast things are moving. I mean, they can't just sit back and say, well, you guys take care of that over in IT. How did you, how was it introduced into Carhartt? Did you end up bringing in like outside coaches or trainers or you had obviously worked in that environment before. So how did you yeah. approach it? Uh, I focused first internally in the mm -hmm. IT organization and I actually did the training myself. So really? I did, uh, I led uh, 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 an introduction to to lean agile for the entire organization uh, to, to, to teach them how, uh, how it works. Uh, and then um, really the approach was go experiment, go try okay. stuff. Mm -hmm. there, I think a lot of times people think there's a blueprint for this, but what, what works in one organization doesn't work in another. And, and, and I've done this in four different organizations and I, I can say, well, without any doubt that all four implementations are quite different than the others. Mm -hmm. And and really it's that experimentation. Go try it. Go see what happens. You you're not gonna nothing's gonna break because you're trying this. So we we did that internally first. And and then we started to find champions then within the organization who could then uh, train others on what did they learn, what's working well okay. for themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we picked um, some a key business unit to say, listen, we need a product owner from you now. Now we're ready. You start you start writing the stories, you start prioritizing. And for us, we picked um, our e-commerce business as the, the, the best example to do okay. that first. Uh, but now we've rolled that out across the organization. Even if you look at the traditional uh, SAP environment, mm -hmm. uh, we've got the product owners from finance or HR or supply chain that are that are providing that uh, product ownership. Okay. Now, is the intent to the intent to eventually, or perhaps you're there already, get to essentially 100% agile in approach, or do you think there'll always be a, somewhat of a balance between the two? Uh, we we don't really have we don't have waterfall anymore. Okay. There's no there's no waterfall. It's it mm -hmm. is all I'd say that lean agile. Okay. Uh, Excellent approach. Well, and some of the things we talked about, some of the projects and the things that got accomplished in your first year, where your first two years. Uh, an ERP implementation, Office 365 rolled out, Salesforce, the IBM sourcing change, the new website, the Lean Agile moves, and a new warehousing system. Now, you're doing this with an IT staff of about 115 people? That's correct. Okay. Plus, plus, we have the IBM team in India. Yeah. Okay. Um, the Of all those, you know, that's a lot of projects, of course, to have in the air, um, especially the first year. When you look back, is there anything you do differently about it? Uh, you know, there's one, I'd say one thing. I mean, we, you know, like you said, we we did a lot. And in mm -hmm. fact, you know, there's even others. I, I, I was surprised as I got ready for this interview to kind of look back at the last two years in terms of just yeah. the sheer scope and the number of systems that have been done. Mm -hmm. um, the one thing I would say that uh, I've done differently is the Office 365 implementation. Okay. Um, we we took a decision to go very fast to get everybody on the platform as quickly as possible, mm -hmm. um, so that we had everybody start to use the same tools, uh, and and we could have done it like a very deep approach with each each function, mm -hmm. and and then rolled it. Our fear was, or it was probably mine. My team was, well, I would I would safely say we're not. We're not completely on board with that go fast approach, mm -hmm. um, but the fear was that uh, some teams would start to complain that the other teams couldn't work with them, you know, on yeah. on the key tools that they yeah. had. And uh, so I think what we needed to do though was to provide a, a different level of education than we did. We did the basic education. Mm -hmm. What we needed to do is we got them on really fast. We should have deployed people to sit down with each of the business units and talk about their business processes a little bit more right. and understand how can we really tailor that to their business processes. Yeah. Now, we ended up doing that, uh, it was probably nine months after implementation, mm -hmm. uh, but I think it would have been a little smoother if we had, if we had done that. 
Okay. Uh, now everybody's very Fair happy. Enough. Yeah. Everybody's very happy with the implementation, and and we got it done very fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Well, yeah. no, I've I've talked with some businesses where they were making a move to Office 365, and they were coming off Lotus Notes. And they did. You remember Lotus Notes? And uh, <laughs> yeah. they uh, they tended to have a lot of positive feedback because they were going from kind of a Stone Age approach to this. But it is a very complex piece of software. So yeah. you know, it's it's not as you know, you people think it's just what you see on your desktop, and it's a lot more. Now, in addition to your CIO duties and what you do on the IT side of your job, you've also added other business functions since you got there planning, pricing, supply chain planning, I guess it is. Talk about how that came about. That was not part of the initial discussions when you came in? Okay. You know, the um, it, it really came up just because we, we decided um, to add a focus on a different line of business, mm-hmm. um, which was our industrial business, our business-to-business space. And so one uh, an executive that was responsible for those functions, uh, we said, okay, you're going to take responsibility now for, for leading this effort. Mm-hmm. So my boss then, of course, comes and says, hey, can you pick up uh, these these other activities? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I always consider myself first and foremost to be a member of the senior executive team, mm-hmm. not the CIO. So, I, you know, for me, it was no big deal. Uh, I have a great leadership team in place on the IT side. I've been able to put in, you know, mm. fabulous group top to bottom, and they're able to run their their pieces of the business, and they work really well together. Um, we, if you think, um, the one thing I've done with that team is I use a heavy reliance on shared goals a- across mm-hmm. that leadership team. And what I mean by that is we may take a, a goal, which is all the projects, for example, and Everybody on the leadership team has the exact same goal. We'll have a goal related to what we're going to do even on uh, related to protecting the brand or or getting more effective. Every one of the team members has the exact same goal. And, and that's so that everybody's lined up. If there's something not going mm-hmm. the right direction, I don't have to jump in and say, go fix this. They're all lined up and their compensation's lined yeah. up to say, we either get there as a team or we don't get there. So that really freed me up to be able to spend the time on on other tasks as well. Okay. Well, and you also made the point that you are pretty vocal in the leadership meetings in every aspect and that you don't just restrict yourself to IT topics. Right. You know, I think, yeah, for most people, you know, I've talked to a few, a fair number, and you, of course, talked to thousands Mm -hmm. of CIOs. uh, (laughs) Probably over the last several years. That that could be true. And I, I think mm-hmm. that there's there's really two ways of looking at your role on a leadership team. Mm-hmm. There's either I'm the CIO and I'm representing IT in the leadership team, mm-hmm. or I'm a member of the leadership team and I am helping to run you know the company as a whole. Yeah. I choose the latter in terms of the approach. And, and mm-hmm. that means that I'm expected to contribute. I, it doesn't matter if we're having a discussion about our, our, our distribution strategy in terms of who we're selling to, mm-hmm. our supply chain strategy, our, our uh, marketing strategy. You know, I'm expected to contribute. In, and, um, you know, I, I make sure that I'm prepared to have those, those conversations at the leadership team. Yeah. Well, from what I've seen with the CIOs, you know, we have our, we do 10 events a year. So we see a lot of CIOs there. And of course, we talk to them a lot in the the course of our own work here. But it seems that in the last, I'd say two to three years, the expectation from other business executives about what IT is going to contribute has really grown. It has changed. I mean, there's now, you know, the Wall Street Journal has an entire section, CIO Journal, that is it deals with all of the issues around IT in the business um, and that sort of thing. And it just, it seems like the expectation has changed a lot. Have you seen that in your own career progression? Yeah, you know, I think there's, I let's say this, the companies that are going to be successful in the future mm-hmm. have definitely embraced, have embraced that. Yes. That, you know, you can't, there's, well, there's no business process. There's nothing that's going to get, delivered today in today's world without technology uh, mm-hmm. as a key part of it. Um, and I, so I think that any company who, who understands that understands then that 
you need the CIO to, to play a, a more strategic role in working with the, the business units to help shape that. I, there are a fair number of companies out there, and I've talked to peers who, mm-hmm. who aren't necessarily treated you know, that way. Uh, but my experience at Carhartt is, you know, mm-hmm. that's the expectation, and and we, you know, we just expect that when we're talking about dis- we're having uh, strategic discussions, you know, we expect the CIO or if it's one of my direct reports, mm-hmm. you know, to to be able to contribute to that to that um, discussion. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, it's definitely changed though. If you look at, yeah. if I jump back even to uh, my time at Roche. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, it's definitely changed a yeah. lot over that time. Well, and it, it it kind of has to because if you've got a lot of expectations about um, having strategic level discussions, but they're only being had on the IT side, and no one on the business side is particularly looking for that, that can be a pretty hard uphill climb for any CIO. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I remember years ago at one of our events, you know, we've been talking about strategic role of the CIO probably for the last ten years, maybe longer, and uh, some CIOs would say, you know, in my industry, that may never happen because of the way IT is viewed and the function that it plays. But it's harder and harder, I think, these days to find industries where technology and technology-enabled capabilities are not a centerpiece of how the business makes its money. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, um, when we look ahead into 2019 and 2020, what is the, the focus for you as the CIO and all these, these other duties you do when you look at the technologies and the business issues that have the biggest share of your mind right now? What are you thinking about these days? Yeah, I mean, the, I think the one challenge I've got is that everywhere needs something, right? I mean, it doesn't matter well, what yeah. we've done. It, mm-hmm. Everywhere needs something. It's so, it's very broad. But if I look at where I'm personally spending my time uh, thinking and talking with folks, mm-hmm. um, analytics, I think is number one. We're making a big investment in analytics. We're, we're adding, you know, 16 positions uh, mm-hmm. to the analytics team. And so if you mm-hmm. look at an organization our size, it's a big bet. And three of those are data scientists. Uh, mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. area. So that is, you know, we've done a lot of work on kind of the look back world of analytics, you know, mm-hmm. the, the um, yes. playback side, you know, now it's predictive and, and, you know, I, I just see an insatiable demand uh, on, on that side. It doesn't matter what part of the business unit, not just the sales and marketing, but our supply chain, which is traditionally not had a lot of that, mm-hmm. um, that ecosystem put around them. Uh, so analytics would be a, a big one. Um, we have a big move that we have to do. Um, believe it or not, we you mentioned the upgrade of our ERP. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we have to make a major move. Um, we're a SAP customer and we'll be moving to the S4 fashion um, uh, product line, which is a kind of a re-implementation. Uh-huh. And we're expecting to do that in by 2020 probably. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, continued expansion of our direct-to-consumer business uh, in Europe that will continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll look to, to move beyond that Canada and Asia at some point. Um, we're also looking to see how do we help our retail partners. So a large amount of our revenue is is uh, derived through relationships with uh, retailers. And how do we help them compete uh, out there in the marketplace? Mm-hmm. So we're looking at how do we deliver endless aisle uh, capabilities so that they can uh, retail uh, products that they may not be carrying directly in the store. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm spending, we're spending time on on the AI uh, uh, space. We uh-huh. see uh, bots and um, and then uh, supply chain. I think in general in the supply chain space, for us a big challenge would be on inventory management mm-hmm. as we look across really vastly different. Even though we're selling a similar, you know, we're selling the same product, vastly different um, markets. Whether it's our our wholesale market, our direct to consumer market, or that industrial business to business market I talked about, mm-hmm. um, they all have very different requirements in terms of service levels and how do we manage that inventory across that space without. Um, you know, rocketing the the size of that inventory. Well, and that is that does seem to be one of the 
kind of the final frontiers with digital transformation for a lot of companies. There's a certain amount of it you can do inside and upgrading for digital technologies in various areas, but then you get into your supply chain and all of a sudden, at some point in that pipe, you run into manual processes and things being done on clipboards and paper. Um, Describe a little bit about Carhartt's supply chain and where you see the greatest opportunities for digitization. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's obviously we manufacture our own products Mm -hmm. uh, as well. So and we have source partners. Uh, You know, the the challenge for us is how do we um, we help our own shop floor? And we're going to do that. We're going to put in technology this year, in fact, um, to um, uh, be able to understand what's actually happening on the floor. Today, it's it's a ticket based paper based system uh, Mm -hmm. on the sewing floor. So we will we will do that. I do see the the focus though being on how do we link up that consumer demand or our customer demand and tie that tightly together so that our supply chain, whether it's our own internal manufacturing or our source partners, can better react uh, to those market conditions uh, and and smooth it out and not have it be so choppy in terms of. You know, one month it's this kind of demand. Next month it's mm-hmm. another demand, and 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 in this this space, it's that's very not only difficult to do, but it can be more expensive to do if you're if you have a very choppy uh, forecast. Okay. Uh, so that for us is probably our big focus. Um, the other one would be um, we are we've started to do uh, 3D uh, tools uh, in our own product development side. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've we've got a few in place where um, we will use that to to digitize the, the um, development of the product. Mm-hmm. Um, what we want to do then is how do we move that down to our, our partners or sourcing partners so that if they're doing some kind of co-development work with us, that they're able to do the same work um, and do that. Frankly, they're probably farther ahead because of, of, of their business on, on doing some of that 3D modeling. Mm-hmm. But the 3D modeling does a number of things. One, it reduces your time to market tremendously. Um, because you're reducing your need for samples. Okay. Um, and then it helps us on the back end. If you've digitized something already, when we go to put it you know, online for sale or we provide that images to a, uh, a customer to put on their own website, they've got much richer um, uh, experience to be able to show the consumer. Oh, interesting. Well, and the... Um you mentioned how you've got three data scientists on staff right now. Well, we're going to hire them. You're well, going to hire them. Position, oh, so I was going to say. Anybody out there is a data scientist, let me know. Because yeah. <laughs> you're in Dearborn, Michigan, correct? Yes. yes. I was I was sitting here wondering what the market – well, what is the IT hiring market like in Dearborn, Michigan? What's, how do you – I know you don't have a great deal of turnover. You said your attrition is yeah. about 15%. Um, oh, it's actually internally it's less. So oh, internally, okay. that's our, our our offshore is only fifteen percent. Oh, okay. And uh, but onshore we're less than five percent oh, uh, right. attrition. Okay. Um, you know the uh, two things. I mean, obviously, uh, I think everywhere you know the IT market is pretty strong. Uh, yeah. So I don't you know I don't think I know, it's. I visit a lot of cities where the <laughs> IT unemployment is like. Zero percent. Yeah. And I think what's important is, do you have a brand and do you have a place that that people want to come work? Okay. And do you have a a culture that that drives that? And and people come here um, and and people love working here. And and that certainly helps us in terms of of reputation in the marketplace. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've certainly been able to, to bring in folks, you know, from other companies as direct reports from very large companies mm-hmm. to come work here. But even like for the data scientists, I believe that we can offer them an experience that they couldn't necessarily get at a larger company. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at putting these data scientists sitting with the senior executives, sitting with their leadership teams. There is nowhere else that they're probably going to get that type of exposure and interaction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've even, you know, it was funny. We just did a, a session on that with the senior executive committee yesterday. And and that's what we talked about. Was, well, hey, we might hire folks right out of master's programs or Ph.D. programs with mm-hmm. no business experience, but they're going to sit on your leadership team. And. And, you know, like I said, I think that's going to help us recruit people. Yeah. Well, and they're also one of the things uh, CIOs have told me when they bring in, especially when there's an emphasis on bringing in millennial developers and millennial data scientists, that they're not aware of any of the corporate 
blockades that might be in place. You know, there's a lot, they don't have the not invented here syndrome, uh, which tends to infuse new thinking in the team regardless. Yeah. what the topic is. Um, well, when you um, in you restructured and added the the sixteen positions in analytics, do you have any uh, accomplishments, uh, things you're proud of that you can point to that Carhartt's been able to do with that new emphasis on analytics in just say the yeah. past year? Well, I mean, the the thing is, is that we just got that approval for the sixteen positions. You know, at the end of the year, so it's okay. a big budget increase for this year. Yeah. Um, you know, I was able to hire in uh, somebody that we said not only did they take over the traditional analytics, but they're responsible for all data for the company. So they're in charge of data strategy. They've got the business side of the mm -hmm. analytics with the data scientists. And so I think number one was getting agreement that that's how we're going to work as a company and, and yeah. break down the silos that could exist in in, in the data world especially. Um, but we spent a lot of time cleaning up the, I'd say the plumbing. We put mm -hmm. in a master data management system last year. Uh, there was no MDM. We got to, we, you know, be able to see a consumer no matter how they're interacting with us, whether it's in the store, whether it's online. Uh, so that was a, that was a big push. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we, we started to shift away from uh, a report centric world and move to a dashboard centric world with Power BI. Mm -hmm. So if I look at, you know, kind of the key thing was getting that strategy in place, uh, changing the culture around how we want to consume the data, and then fixing the plumbing. A good example is MDM, but there's others. Mm -hmm. uh, and that'll continue. There'll be a big push on, like I said, that upfront engagement with the, uh, with the business colleagues. But we will, we will spend a lot more money on whether it's uh, big data, whether it's geographic information, uh, type of layer uh, strategies. Mm -hmm. uh, so there'll be a lot in the plumbing side as well. Well, you know, one of the things I've, I've found is so unique about the CIO position. Uh, it, there are functional pieces of it. There are transformational pieces and there are strategic pieces. And you don't get to just move from one to the other. It's not like you get the foundation in place and everything is fine and then you can ignore it and move on to do transformational work and then it's digital work and you know it just you pretty much have to be all over the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, tell me about retailers often seem to have I think the toughest road of anybody. It's such a competitive industry. The margins are often razor thin. How is Carhartt doing in the broader context of today's retail market and just the difficulty of hanging on to consumers because there's so many choices? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, we're, we're doing well. I mean, I, okay. you know, I know it's, it's a private company. company yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, consume, you know, the, our core consumers, um, you know, do love the brand. Um, we're, we are relentlessly, relentlessly focused on that mm -hmm. and we manage growth to make sure that we don't uh, dilute the brand and we don't lose focus of, of why we exist. You know, we have a hundred and, 29 years of, of mm -hmm. history and, you know, the, the owner and, you know, he's, he's, like I said, he's relentlessly focused on that brand. Mm -hmm. uh, so we do very well in, in the marketplace. We, um, we have a customer set when I talk about those retailers who are, are very loyal to us as well. And um, we, you know, ultimately we aim to make sure that if they're successful, we're successful. Mm -hmm. And um, so, um, Good news, I think it is. It's always good, I think, in this industry to to have an authentic brand, yeah. and the the folks that you you that if you talk to have an authentic brand, they're probably doing well right now. Okay, all right, fair enough. Now you'd mentioned those three business areas that Carhartt is in: direct to consumer, wholesale, and then in the industrial. And you mentioned that the market is ripe for innovation. I think you were talking about the industrial piece of it. Right. So I just wanted you to, uh, what makes one part of your market more ripe for innovation than others? Yeah. Well, I mean, a couple of things. We, we, we saw that we were underrepresented in that marketplace, even though it was the same product, it was the same consumer, right? That was mm -hmm. their employer though, was buying the, you know, the stuff to uniform them. Uh, so we saw there was a huge opportunity that we were just underrepresented. Okay. So we started digging into that marketplace, we saw there were a lot of challenges in terms of just, uh, well, lack of even digitization in that process. There's a lot of paper involved, okay. uh, believe it or not, mm -hmm. in uh, the uniform business. Um, there's a lot of uh, opaque 
opaqueness. I guess that's a word, opaqueness. I don't know. Uh, I think it's opacity, of, actually. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> uh, in terms of, um, of, of understanding what's possible. Mm-hmm. And, and so we see that there's a great opportunity because our that end um, worker, you know, wants our product. So how do we help the um, their employer mm-hmm. uh, be able to clothe them in Carhartt? And at the end of the day, if you go back to our, you know, our mission is to protect those employees. And, you know, it, we think there's a ton of opportunity in that space, not to get in specific details mm-hmm. of what we're going to do, mm-hmm. uh, but we, we think there's a ton of opportunity to um, to serve that industry and and help um, do more for, frankly, the same amount of money they're, they're spending already. And are there particular parts of the, uh, the, the areas in IT that you've been transforming, are there particular parts of it that apply directly to that? In you know that uh, getting in and with some of that innovation, I mean, I'm yeah. thinking about your ERP upgrade was probably significant yeah. in that. I think all all kind of end to end, if you think okay. about it, whether it's data, you know, to understand um, our our website, we have built uh, functionality which is meant to uh, be able to serve that market, mm-hmm. uh, be able to provide workflow type of activities. Um, uh, we see. I mean, there's obviously a ton more that needs to get done uh, to to go after that space, but it really still rests on the core. I call it infrastructure of Carhartt. Mm-hmm. You know, to to deliver products. So everything we've done. You know, like I said, whether it's the PLM, the product lifecycle uh, management uh, system we put in. Uh, or the uh, ERP work or website, all those things are, are going to help support that marketplace. Okay. Um, most companies today are engaging in some version of what gets called digital transformation. And I have actually found that uh, across different industries, it means entirely different things. You can talk to someone in the oil and gas industry, and if you say digital transformation, they look at you a little quizzically, but they say, oh, you mean you mean oil field tra- transformation, and you know it's something very specific. What do those buzzwords mean at Carhartt? Uh, and if I were to ask your your president, what would she say? Yeah, I, you know, for us, it really is. You know, getting down to it is, frankly, it's it's digitizing all those business processes end to end. You know, the ultimate goal for us is you know to be able to um, eliminate silos to make sure that information is flowing across that environment i talked about some of those challenges of you know between you know if you think about the front end of your business of sales back to supply chain you know to the degree that that is interconnected across that is really the ultimate goal mm-hmm. um, you know so we're we're really focused on finishing up that that um, digitization across those. The really the last space we're we're doing the, the like I said the the product lifecycle management. We just did our first implementation this year, mm-hmm. and we're focused on supply chain next. Okay. And, and that means we'll have every business unit I'd say fairly digitized. And people say, well, then you're done. And well, no, <laughs> uh, you know, then that drives up an ability to continue to drive continuous uh, improvement or innovation opportunities. But only once you get that kind of base environment set across that ecosystem, can you really garner, I would say, game changer type of, of opportunities. Very mm-hmm. difficult if you don't have that interconnected, you know, across your uh, ecosystem. Okay. Well, one of the things I always like to talk to CIOs about is how they approach innovation, just as a leadership topic, as a very practical matter of how it's structured within the company. Uh, Some companies take a pretty informal approach to it. Others have something much more structured and formal. How have you been approaching IT innovation since you arrived at Carhartt? Yeah. So I mean, if you remember, that was one of my three uh, topics at the beginning. They, mm-hmm. Besides uh, leadership and uh, time to market, the other one was innovation. How yes. do we create innovation? Um, so what we did first was I just asked the team, listen, let's get uh, pilots going. Figure out how you can get team members to start coming up with things. No rules. Just come mm-hmm. up with ideas. And so um, we implemented a shark tank uh, process. Okay. So uh, folks came up with their um, ideas. There's a committee then that said, yes, come forward. And then they pitched it. They built something and pitched it to really the judges would usually be myself and one of the business execs. Mm-hmm. And and that was great. We did that for the first, I'll say, year and a bit. 
And um, but what we found was is that well we we got a lot of continuous improvement type of of opportunities, and okay. and a number of those went to production afterwards. But we weren't getting game changers, and we weren't getting people to try things that they didn't have experience with. Yeah. And and I and I really felt that that was the only way we were going to get a true innovation culture is to to take it to another uh, level. So we then uh, late last year then uh, changed it to uh, an innovation challenge. And we decided mm-hmm. to set aside 5% of IT time during the year mm-hmm. um, to work on innovation. So I know a lot of CIOs will say, 5%, how did you, yeah, how do you, you measure that? that? <laughs> I mm-hmm. said, we're take, we set aside one Friday a month. Okay. And we said that Friday, mm-hmm. there's no project work. I mean, other than if we have a system down type of issue or something like yeah. that. People are freed up to work on on innovation projects, and we but we didn't force everybody to. We said, who wants to volunteer to participate? We had I would say between fifty and sixty people sign up in Q fours, mm-hmm. for example, and then there were nine teams that were um, all then working. I came up mm-hmm. with the nine topics, and I said, okay, here mm-hmm. you are. So some of the examples of of things that were built, we had um, uh, a product kind of search bot in Facebook Messenger. Yeah. That was built. And that was, like I said, this was built in one quarter. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was a live working uh, prototype. Mm-hmm. Um, we had another bot for customer service. We had a way to do location-based targeting. We we were working on one. It's not done yet to do 3D scanning. In other words, create your own avatar. So then if you think about it, you could try on clothes you know, online. Um, Remember I talked about the 3D yeah, modeling we're doing? Yeah, yeah. We could actually, not only could you try the clothes on, but you could see an x-ray view to see how it would fit on you. So where is it tight? Where is it loose? Not just how it looks on you, but how mm-hmm. it fits. Um, we had a digital boardroom. We had translation. So hmm. we had these projects. And I, out of the nine teams, uh, five or six um, then uh, pitched it at the end. So mm-hmm. they spent three days. <clears throat> and then we had... Uh, four members of the uh, executive committee that came in and spent a few hours judging the teams. And mm-hmm. um, it was a great result. I mean, obviously, all the teams all the teams played with technology that they had no experience with. Yeah, I thought that uh, was an interesting aspect of it. You didn't want your people who were already familiar with mobile development to be developing some new mobile innovation. You made yeah. them go work on something else. Yeah. Um, and, and really it was to just start opening up, you know, the aperture and get people to start thinking about things differently. Mm-hmm. So the person who runs it for me is my head of planning and architecture. Okay. So, you know, she runs the process of saying, okay, you know, here's, uh, for the first couple quarters, I'm the one who came up with the topics. Yeah. Uh, and then she, you know, she then slots team, uh, people to those teams. They don't get to volunteer for what project they want to work on. She slots them based ah, on okay. trying to create cross-functional groups, but also to get people on things that maybe they don't have experience with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, we—it was good to the first the first quarter. We also made sure that every member of my leadership team, including myself, um, worked on a project. Mm-hmm. So oh, we were right. on a project uh, as well, leading um, working with our team. So a little mm-hmm. bit of. Uh, competitiveness also helped as well to um, to get the juices flowing. <laughs> um, how did you come up with the nine topics? Was this something had uh, it been on your to do list for a while, or yeah, just kind of things that came up in various meetings? I or I'll be thinking some driving home, driving mm-hmm. to work, whatever it might be. I like, hey, we should really do something like this, or and, and all of those were things that I saw. We had some kind of a business capability gap in an oh, area, okay. and say, okay, how can we go find something that might fill that gap? We don't know what it is yet, and, and frankly, all of the ones we didn't tell them what technology to use. We said, here is the solution we want you to go build. Mm-hmm. Go find the technology you want to use and, and go build it. Yeah. And we spent zero dollars doing it. Now, that's an interesting piece of it because a lot of times innovation efforts have some percentage of budget or some kind of funding to it. And you did the zero that you spent on it was due to supplier relationships. Right. Talk a little bit more about that because I, I think sometimes that's an overlooked area. Uh, in fact, you said that, that it's overlooked by a lot of CIOs, how much more involvement they can get out of their their vendor partners. Yeah. You know, we, 
I would say even Carhartt was probably the same thing. They mm-hmm. they traditionally treated suppliers like vendors, right? Mm-hmm. I think everybody calls them a vendor. And I, I say, well, that's vendor is like the hot dog guy, right? That's yeah. the vendor. Um, so, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, they, they're interested in making sure that we continue to grow and get the most out of the technology. Sure. And they're interested in creating mar- market opportunities for their products. And so we we do build, you know, now we have very, you know, strategic relationships, whether it's IBM or a Microsoft or an SAP or a Cisco. Mm-hmm. And and our, our strategy, even on new projects, is we pretty much go to them first. Ah. Um, we look to them and say, can you do this first before we even go to look at other potential suppliers? That's our mm-hmm. kind of trade-off on this is you work with us and then we'll we'll make sure that we're trying to leverage those relationships. But we, I took my whole uh, leadership team, for example, on a West Coast supplier visit. We went out and spent time with each of our strategic suppliers out there. So we spent a whole day with, with them and understand not just what we're interested in, but, but what are they working on that, mm-hmm. that they think we might be interested in. Um, IBM, for example, uh, runs workshops here four times a year as part of our relationship. And we can pick a business topic and they'll come in and run the workshop for a whole day, including with my peers uh, in the room about this is how uh, we might be able to attack a particular uh, challenge. So they're actually going to run one on that industrial space uh, okay. with us here in uh, a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, are, so, are you mainly asking them to bring expertise in a consulting sense, or do you look for other kinds of resources? It, it depends, frankly. Um, okay. We might be looking for, you know, like I said, particular expertise. Mm-hmm. We might be looking for ability to try things out, you know, that you know for free before we, we do anything. Mm-hmm. We're looking for thought leadership even in, from a business process standpoint, mm-hmm. um, experience that they may have with other customers that, you know, that they can help share and, and that we can learn from. Uh, so there's a wide range of, of those things. And, and I, but I think it's important to realize that it has to go both ways. So um, mm-hmm. I, if any of those partnerships, like I said, we've got the thing, which is we, we engage with them first in opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other one is that, you know, I've done a number of things with of, of several of those suppliers in terms of speaking and other activities, mm-hmm. uh, but that's my you know commitment back to them. If they're a good partner to us, then you know we'll you know we'll do the same to help them out. Yeah, well, I wonder too is sometimes whether mid market size companies even realize that they can ask this of their various partners and suppliers. Uh, you don't have to be a Fortune ten or a Fortune fifty company to get yeah. this kind of attention. Yeah, so. you know I, I I will admit that. It's helpful to have the Carhartt brand. Yeah, uh, so, all right. You have a good uh, brand. You know, exactly. It's helpful to have a brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a you recognizable know, brand. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, you know, obviously, and and it's helpful that, you know, we're trying to, to uh, drive innovation and, and do those things because there's a lot of good stories around that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but even, you know, I've done, I was at an insurance company, which wasn't a brand, and we were able to get... Mm-hmm. Uh, the same type of, of experience. So I do think it comes down to, you know, the relationship that the CIO and, and their executive uh, uh, IT team yeah. and how they're going to treat those relationships, how they treat those suppliers. Mm-hmm. And and it doesn't mean we're a pushover when it comes to negotiations. Right. Uh, but but at the same time, we're, we're, we're trying to to grow for the long term with them. Yeah. Well, I think, and that's something that I see when CIOs move up through functional to transformational to, to, to a strategic level, they do tend to have these more strategic relationships with their partners. They just look at them differently and they demand different things from them. Yeah. Um, you wrote an interesting blog a few months ago, I think back in November, about overcoming the obstacles to innovation. So I want to talk a little bit about those. You identified four of them. The first one was agile development itself and how it can get a little overwhelming for the teams just in terms of the stream of work that is constantly flowing through. And it never ends because there's the MVPs to create and and new cycles that are starting. So talk about that first obstacle to innovation and how you try to uh, get over it. Right. Yeah, I think the key thing, as you mentioned, is a lot of people think that in and itself, agile drives innovation, but all it drives is a backlog. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's a you lot know, of there, work. A, but you're just going to get faster at delivering the backlog. Yeah. Uh, so you, you know, the big thing is, is that 
you have to figure out how to create capacity for innovation, whether it's time and sprints or whether mm-hmm. it's like I, like we did in terms of setting set aside on a Friday. Um, you know, the mm-hmm. the premise of being agile, like I said, is not you know necessarily about innovation in itself. Though being agile can help you you know, be more innovative because you can try things at a faster pace, Mm -hmm. but it won't free up time to truly get game changers necessarily because the product owner may not prioritize those type of activities. That's right. They're actually focused on the product they're working on. Right. So the innovation essentially has to be earlier in the process before the agile. Um, The second one was budget. And of course, we already talked about that a little bit. Your, Your advice is get your suppliers in the game. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. And even so, somebody will say, I'm public sector. I've had people say, I'm public sector and I can't do that. Huh. Uh, and it's not not true. I The, you know, for example, uh, the insurance company I mentioned was mm-hmm. public sector. Yeah. And, um, but we had a rule that said we did the, the proof of concepts and they were a $0 purchase order type of thing with mm-hmm. them. But what we said is that anytime all they're doing is creating a market opportunity, everything would go out for RFP. Right. You know, if we came down to the actual, like, we want to do something in this space. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think it, you know, it have to be private sector to be able to, to have those supplier relationships. That's a great point to make. Good. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, your third obstacle was just human nature, the team excitement. It's a, it's a, it's a bell curve, right? Everybody gets all excited at first and then it starts to get a little more. I heard one CIO talk about it as the trough of despair. How you know everybody's very excited in the beginning, and then the work really starts, and then they realize that they're already behind, and then they get a little despairing. So, how what do you do when team excitement starts to peak out a little bit? Yeah, yeah, I, I you know, I think there's two things right in there. One is the extra work. Sometimes people see it as just extra work. Yeah, and and you really do need to uh, make sure that um, you're you're slotting off time for them, but. Mm-hmm. But, but also make it fun. If it's not fun, and, and this is – and I also think sometimes people too much put too much structure around it. We have uh-huh. – there's no – we have no standard operating procedures on this. There's no process. There's no nothing. Okay. It is really just, hey, here's the idea. Let's go. Yep. You know, and, 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 and be fun about it. We joke about it. We – and the other thing is, is there's, by definition, no – um, innovation project can go to production. It gets thrown out. You have to start over and do it the right way because we don't worry about security. We don't worry about any oh, of those things. that's an interesting things, right? point. Yeah. yeah. It's just about learning. The whole mm-hmm. focus of our innovation effort is about learning. It is not a pilot. And I think sometimes people get those confused okay. because a pilot means that it goes to production if it's successful. So it puts a lot more rigor on things. Yeah. Security, all the overhead. Um, so I, for me, it's Keep it loose. Keep it fun. Keep mm-hmm. it about learning, learning, learning. Yeah. Uh, and there'll be there'll always be in an organization. Some people want to do it, and some that don't. And like I said, in mine, I'd say it's half that people are like, "Yes, I want to be in." Yeah. The other half, okay, I prefer not to, and that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, one CIO yeah. uh, referred to that to me as the rule of thirds. He said, anytime you introduce something new, there'll be a third of your people that are super excited. A third of the people are doing a little bit of watch and see, and maybe I'll get involved. And then a third of them, not interested. Yeah. You know. And when it stalls out, this yeah. time, same thing on innovation, try something different like we did with moving from the Shark Tank to the Innovation Challenge, for example. Yes. Put a different spin on it now. Try you know, to, to reinvigorate it just like anything else. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's your fourth obstacle, that things get stalled. Right. Yeah. And there you've got the Friday time that you carved right. out and so forth. Okay. Uh, we're getting near the top of our hour here. So um, I guess my last question for you is about the CIO role itself. It's It's been, it's always fun to talk about it because it seems to be in a constant state of evolution. Um, but you said some interesting things about that. One is you said, because I asked about what, what did you think would happen with like the CIO title in going into the future? And I think your response was something like, Titles don't really matter. So talk about how you see uh, the role evolving, whatever we're going to call it, in the future. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think in the in the future, you may have somebody responsible for technology, 
but they're probably also responsible for for something else. Um, mm-hmm. It may be similar to my role. Mm-hmm. And so whatever they call it, I don't know. Like my role is CIO, but I didn't change it to be CIO and head of planning mm-hmm. and pricing and you know all. <laughs> you of didn't those add things. another line to your business right. card. Yeah. yeah. So, but I think because it's so integrated in terms of the um, the business now mm-hmm. that. Um, I do think there is going to be more and more where somebody, you know, on the executive committee has got two hats. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's got the oversee of the technology, but it's embedded, you know, kind of in everything everybody does mm-hmm. to make sure that there's consistency. But also, you know, it's one of the business processes so that they have a better feel for is that technology really working? Is it really, you know, providing the value? So. Mm-hmm. Um, if I don't, maybe I'm wrong, but you know, that's my two cents on it anyway. Yeah. Well, I've had some CIOs recently that I spoke with who are more and more interested in, uh, the chief operating officer role and how that is changing and that our focus is all around CIOs here. So I don't really get to talk to that many COOs, but the point that they're making is that the operation of the company is so tied into all the different digital technologies and various technology tools and so forth that there's a likelihood over the next few years that the COO role may come to include technology. It may very well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, let me see. I guess I did have one penultimate final question. Um, Your reading habits, how do you stay on top of, you mentioned that you read the Wall Street Journal. How do you stay on top of the market, technology, and business trends? What do you recommend? Uh, you know, I, th- I think, you know, today's world, you know, with whether it's your Twitter feed or your or your uh, LinkedIn feed or, you know, whatever it might be, even my Google feed, mm-hmm. um, it's coming from everywhere fast and furious. So, you know, starting the day on, on, on a wide range of, of topics is important for me. Yeah. Um, but the supplier relationships is where I get a lot as well. I do a lot of executive briefings with them. Oh, I, I do spend mm-hmm. time and go to uh, for example, IBM Think, uh, mm-hmm. and, or you know, so it. I think sometimes CIOs don't do that, and and I still try to do that and learn a little bit about the technology itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to say I'm really self-actualized, and and that's all I do. But, <laughs> but you know, when I drive to work, or I ride home from work. Mm-hmm. I'm not thinking about technology. I listen to to ESPN Radio in the morning. I listen to Comedy Channel on the mm-hmm. way back. So good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I. You like to keep a uh, foot I, in real life. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. think uh, you know I try to keep it balanced mm-hmm. in my in my life. So, uh, but I do. I think the relationships and the team members. You know, even like folks in my team come with, hey, we'd like to to talk about this. So mm-hmm. I learn a lot just from all those interactions as well. Yep. Well, sometimes listening can be the most important skill we use. Yeah. So. Absolutely. And it's been a real pleasure listening to you today, John. So thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. And uh, I will, um, I'll be talking to you again soon, I hope. Okay, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. And thank you all. Thanks to our audience for joining us today. This was a conversation with John Hill, the CIO at Carhartt, rugged wear, rugged workwear for men, women, and children. And we will be back with another episode of CIO Leadership Live on March 8th when I'll be talking with Majgan Lefebvre, who is the CIO of the global specialty business at Liberty Mutual. And in the meantime, if you're just tuning in and catching the very last of this episode, we do uh, put a, uh, the video will be up tomorrow on CIO.com. And we also produce an audio podcast that we post to iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. So thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.